0: I'm Chris Costello, and welcome to On Cue. I look forward to sharing with you topics and guests which may be out of the ordinary, and some very extraordinary people who are making a noticeable imprint in today's world. U-2 pilot Francis Gary Powers has become one of the most identifiable figures of the time period known as the Cold War. The U-2 he was piloting was shot down over Russia while on a reconnaissance mission in 1960. He was captured, tried, and incarcerated. This was a time in our history of extreme tension between the Soviet Union and the United States. Following his release in exchange for captured Soviet spy Rudolf Abel in February of 1962, Powers returned home to the US and not to the hero's welcome, which he should have received. The U.S. government criticized him for not activating his aircraft self-destruct charge to destroy the camera and photographic film and for not using the CIA-issued suicide pill. He was clouded in controversy until now. With me is Francis Gary Powers Jr., who's going to shed more light on his father, the controversies that evolved, and separating fact from fiction. Along with his co-author Keith Donavant, They've written one of the most in-depth and detailed accounts of Francis Gary Powers' life both before, during, and following the U2 incident. The book is called Spy Pilot, published by Prometheus Books, and I encourage anyone listening to this podcast to purchase either on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or their local bookstore. Gary Powers, welcome to OnCue. I am so excited to have you here with me.
1: Well, Chris, thank you very much for the invitation. It's great to be back in touch.
0: I know it's been some time, but i got to tell you, from first meeting you as a teenager, Gary, at your home in Sherman Oaks and seeing how you have evolved into this amazing man, and I underline amazing man, I've said to you on so many occasions that I know your mom and dad are so proud of you. I mean, you've made this your life's work in vindicating your father's name to bring us all closer to the truth. So your book, Spy Pilot, came out this year, and I could not put it down. What brought me face-to-face with your father was the book's forward written by Sergei Khrushchev, son of Nikita Khrushchev, who led the Soviet Union during part of the Cold War. And in his opening paragraph, if I can just read this, he says, "...for more than two decades I have watched Francis Gary Powers Jr. work tirelessly to honor and preserve the memory of his father, an ordinary American who has caught up in extraordinary circumstances." How did you approach Sergei Khrushchev to do the forward, especially with Russia and U.S. relations during that time period, putting us on the brink of war, whose father was a Soviet statesman leading the Soviet Union during this time?
1: Well, uh, Sergei and I are friends. Uh, I have known him for over 20 years. Um, We first met in Boda, Norway, back in 1996. We were both there for a a conference on the Cold War in the U-2 program. At first, he and I kind of eyed each other up and down as to who this guy was, and his father did this and his father did that. And after talking for a little bit and having a meal together and having a beer together and talking about what we were doing, it turns out we're both doing the same thing. We're historians. We're trying to get to the bottom of what took place. He's trying to honor his father. I was trying to honor my father. So we had a lot in common. And over the years, uh, Sergey and I have interacted and been to lectures and conferences and and book events together. And so I reached out to him uh, to write the Ford and he uh, agreed um, wholeheartedly to do that.
0: Well, I have to say that that really brings you right into the story, your dad's story. Uh, That is really what, what locked me in. And as I started to read the book, I was curious, like, the controversy, okay, surrounding your father, considering that you were born a few years following his return. So what was the motivating factor in doing all of this that you're doing today? I mean, wh- when did you first become aware that there was controversy?
1: Um, it was a normal childhood growing up. Dad was a pilot when I was 5, 7, 10 years old. He was working for Lockheed, flying their U-2 as a test pilot at first, He was then, in 1972 to 77, flying for radio and television stations in the San Fernando Valley. So I would fly with him. I'd hike with him. I'd bike with him. We'd play in the snow together. We'd play in the beach together. It was a normal father-son family upbringing. I would fly with my dad. Dad was a pilot, so that was what I knew. I was aware that he had been shot down, imprisoned, and exchanged as a kid, but I didn't realize the significance of it. So for me, mm-hmm. my perception as a young boy is that everybody's dad had been through something like this.
0: <laughs> and, interesting. Uh, that's interesting.
1: That perception changed on August 1st, 1977. Dad dies in a helicopter crash while working for NBC television. And that's when the light bulb goes on. That's when I realized that not everybody's dad gets shot down, imprisoned or exchanged. And that's when I became mm-hmm. aware of the controversy that surrounded him. So in high school, very introverted, didn't want to talk about it, didn't know how to answer questions. People would ask me questions about my father, I wouldn't know the answer, and so I was very shy and withdrawn in high school. College, I came out of my shell, started to do research, and primarily for one specific reason, I wanted to find out the truth of what took place so I knew how to answer questions. I did not start my research to vindicate. I did not start my research to found a Cold War museum or honor veterans or do any of that behind-the-scenes stuff I ended up doing. I wanted to find out the truth, so I knew how to answer questions, and it snowballed.
0: Well, as you know, I knew your mother, Sue, and great lady, a funny lady. Did she ever talk to you, you know, about all of the controversy, um, circumstances surrounding your dad? Um, Did she kind of guide you through this?
1: Well, yeah. My mom and I would talk uh, when I was in high school. Uh, She was one of the people that I really went to for information at first, and then I branched out from there. But um, she did talk to me about the controversy of my father, uh, that some people thought he was a hero, some people uh, may think he was a traitor, uh, and not to believe everything I heard from the press and or from individuals. It was basically my mom was a very uh, adamant supporter of my father, uh, defended him um, uh, very much so after his death and even while he was alive. And so she told me basically the truth of what took place according to her view that not to listen to any of the basically BS that was out there yeah. uh, about uh, flame-outs or sabotage or uh, defecting or any of the, the rumors that had been spread far and wide through the fake news of the time.
0: Your mother and, and dad actually met when she was CIA, correct?
1: That's right. This is a good story. Um, dad comes home. He is uh, uh, working at the CIA for about six months between 1962 Uh, February, when he returns home, and about November of 62. My mom is also working there in the same office area where he's assigned. So they've met each other, hello, nice to meet you, and, and that was about it. And then one day my dad is walking around a corridor, coming up to a corner, turns the corner, bumps into this girl, Um, spills coffee down the front of her, says, oh, I'm so sorry, let me buy you another cup of coffee, led to, hey, how about lunch? How about dinner? Romance started to ensue. And so uh, mom was there uh, for about about 10 years, 52 to 62 or so. She was a psychometrist, and that is a glorified name for a test administrator. She would administer the tests to the agents who came back from abroad, She would gather up their answers, uh, forward it on to the doctors for evaluation, and then they would determine if their psychological profile was the same, it was the same individual, there was nothing abnormal about the answers they had given. And that way there was a a way to test them to make sure that they were still a, a part of the team and hadn't been turned.
0: Spy Pilot delves into your father's life before the mission, as well as his capture, the release, and how he was unfairly shunned by our government, even though he was exonerated of any wrongdoing. Why do you feel this occurred?
1: Uh, You have to remember the time period. It's the Cold War, the height of the Cold War, right off the McCarthy era. Um, It it was better to be dead than red. It was the whole Mm. mindset of the time period. And I believe that it was easier to blame the pilot than it was to have to admit the Soviets were more advanced than we were in missile technology, that they could shoot down one of our planes. Oh, no, no, it can't be that. It's the Soviets. They're so far backwards. It had to be the pilot's fault. So I think that's part of what took place.
0: Gary, your book also reflects on letters, letters written by your father to his first wife, Barbara. Yes. And when reading his words, you can't help but feel the love that he had for her and how much he really needed her during that time of his incarceration. But this also put a strain on their marriage. Can you explain a little bit further?
1: Well, um, Barbara and my dad met while he was stationed at uh, Turner Airfield near Albany, Georgia. Um, It was a very rocky marriage from the beginning. Uh, Lots of passion, lots of fights. Lots of passion, lots of fights, making up. I mean, it was just that type of a relationship. When he was shot down and captured uh, and held in prison for almost two years, um, Barbara dealt with it the best way she could. She was stressed. It was anxiety. It was notoriety. The press, the paparazzi, hounding her, taking photos, following her. Um, uh, the government getting involved, asking her questions about her husband and and w- what type of man he was and, and could he have defected, could he have landed the plane, you know, accusing uh, uh, him of possibly doing something like that. So she dealt with it the best way she could, and she dealt mm. with it by basically jumping into a bottle. So while she's coping with it by drinking, um, she is not uh, there for my father as my father would like. He's depending on her to write letters, depending on her to reach out and talk with him and communicate and keep that channel open. So he's trying to get information from her and and these letters going back and forth. But it turns out that she's not writing as frequently as he would like. So he's very despondent. He's very upset. Um, at first, he thinks the KGB is withholding his wife's letters as a form of torture, because she's they're not. He's not getting them. But then he comes to realize that she's not writing, um, or not writing as much as he would like. So this is how she dealt with it. And, um, you know, I can't blame her. It it, it was the time period. It was the stress, the anxiety. Uh, You know, some people, that's how they handle things. But it did cause my father some undue hardship uh, because of the circumstances.
0: Gary, there was something that really caught my eye. In your book, you state that the CIA did not prepare their pilots in the event they were captured. So your father is basically on his own. He's not knowing how Washington is going to respond. How did he handle this? And do you think it may have been a different scenario if it were today and not 60 years ago?
1: Right. Uh, It would definitely be a different set of circumstances today if it happened today. At first, when the U-2 pilots were recruited to fly these missions, um, it was explained to them that, hey, if you're caught, you will be tortured. Um, They expected the worst. Now, when my father at one of his briefings asked, hey, you know, what happens if we're caught, if we go down, if something happens and we have to ditch the plane in the Soviet Union, um, his, the response he received was basically the following. You might as well tell them everything. They'll get it out of you anyways, expecting to be tortured and, and put under a harsh interrogation system. So um, that's about all the, 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 the training they got.
0: But it wasn't like he had to take that suicide pill or the pin.
1: In regards to the suicide pin, the early pilots of the CIA were given the option of taking this quote-unquote suicide device with them on these missions. It was explained to them, as I just said, if you're caught, you will be tortured. Here is a way to alleviate the pain and suffering. It's an optional device to take, an optional device to use at the pilot's discretion in the event of torture. So when the KGB find this device on uh, the third strip search, my father says, oh, be very careful with that. He did not want to have a murder conviction on top of an espionage conviction. He was already in enough trouble. The Soviets test the device on a dog. The dog dies in 20 seconds of asphyxiation. It shuts down the central nervous system. The dog can't breathe, dies from lack of oxygen. What I found in my research, and some of the uh, um, listeners will probably understand this, the left hand of the government doesn't always know what the right hand of the government is doing. The pilots were never ordered to take the device or to use it. They were never told what the cover story was. They were told um, that it was optional to take, optional to use at their discretion in the event of torture. Eisenhower is assured by the CIA that no pilot will live through a shootdown. Uh, his son, I want to say John Eisenhower, at one point in time, a very famous quote, they assured my father that no pilot would live through a shootdown, but they give the SOBs parachutes. <laughs> so, so you know, this is the, the type of, of, of situation we're in. Uh, one party's being told one thing, another party's being told another, and both parties are being told different things. It's, it's not on the same page. So um, amazing. Dad takes this device with him, um, he gets caught. Uh, He's not being tortured. It's discovered. Um, uh, Then Khrushchev comes up and and at one of his press conferences says, oh, look at these evil Americans. They uh, give these uh, pilots suicide devices. This one wanted to live to see another day. And from that moment on, Dad had disobeyed orders. But in fact, there had never been any such orders. The pilot's orders, and I have to paraphrase here, is if capture is imminent... Pilots should maintain a cooperative attitude with their captors. They are perfectly free to talk about the missions flying over their country taking photographs. They should not talk about specifications of the airplane or the equipment on board. And so Dad does this to a T. He, at first, the first seven days uh, being interrogated, uh, solitary confinement, uh, 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 bright spotlights, grueling questions, he's lying to them the first week. He's keeping back as much information as possible, trying to mislead them any way he can. But then on May 7th, uh, news breaks, international headlines around the world, U2 shot down, summit conference in jeopardy, Eisenhower caught embellishing. So the KGB guard in charge of the interrogations, a copy of the New York Times, rushes into the interrogation chamber on May 7th, shoves the newspaper in my dad's face, yells at him, you've lied to us. You told us you were trained in Arizona. Well, the New York Times says you were trained in Nevada at Area 51. You might as well tell us everything. We'll get it out of your American press anyways. So, Dad is stuck between a rock and a hard place. If he tells the full truth, he's giving away secrets. If he lies to him, gets caught, he can get shot Face the death penalty for espionage.
0: Thanks for listening, Don Q. Be sure to listen to Part 2 with Francis Gary Powers, Jr. I invite you to visit our Facebook page, On Q Chris Costello, for more information and for upcoming guests. Remember, each of us has a voice and a story. So until next time, share a smile, laugh often, be kind to each other, and let's help make this an even better world.